how very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you the good life. He said, Jesus himself said, the Son of God. In this law, he said, dwelleth all the law and all the prophets. Childish manner, Scott and I impishly danced around his body before he was dead. Just strangely enough, it was a rush, a teenager's rush. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah! Hey, strangers. Welcome to a new episode of Strange Talk Podcast. And today is going to be a little bit different. I may or may not. It just depends. We don't know what the future is going to hold. We're not going to, we're not sure yet. The future is uncertain, but hopefully these two people that I have with me, I have special guests. Uh, we're going to see if maybe they're going to be an indefinite, permanent co-host on Strange Talk Podcast. And they are from the podcast Red Eye Gaming, or also known as Sesh and Share. Or Sesh, wait, I said that right, right, didn't I? Yeah, yeah you got it. Closer, bro. <laughs> you said it fast, like, <laughs> Sesh and Share. Uh, so they are a popular gaming uh YouTube sensation, I guess you could say. Shit, you said podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, oh, hey, followers. hey, you know, if you guys believe you guys are popular, if you guys believe it, then it will happen. That's how you guys make it. It's like manifestation. You got to manifest. Well, you know, you know, I'm here every day and I tell myself your dick is very popular. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, if you guys have been following the Strange Talk podcast for a while, I've been doing this for over a year now. So you guys should already be familiar with my buddy, uh, Red Rip Sauce, formerly known as Rip Sauce, actually. He's now. Uh, you call me whatever. No, you call you, Robert Rib, Rip Sauce. Yeah, Sock whatever. Yeah, whatever. But if you guys that. are familiar, because before doing Strange Talk Podcast, before actually doing Strange Talk Podcast, I was also doing another podcast called Talk Nerdy to Me, a short lived podcast that we were doing when I was uh, doing the gaming channel myself and everything. It was called Talk Nerdy to Me. Uh, and Rip Sauce was on that podcast, and I actually had him on an episode. So if you want to check that episode out, if you're a new listener and you want to check that episode out, uh, it was one that I did where it was about, I believe it was Alien Abductions, wasn't it? I think so, because I fucking, yeah. I'm scared of aliens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, and the new co-host, also new hopeful co-host, is uh, a newcomer to Strange Talk Podcast. Never before, this is his first episode, so we're popping his cherry so to speak Ooh. when it comes yeah. to podcasting and his name is danny danny say what's up dude what's up everybody yeah you say what's up <laughs> so <laughs> so like i said today's episode is a little different hopefully this is going to be the the new juncture this is going to be the new way we do things on strange talk podcast it's nowhere just going to be a one-man show but enough about the entries we already got the introductions out of the way let's get to the meat of the podcast and today's episode is going to be all about Aldolfo de Jesus Constanzo. So, Aldolfo Jesus Constanzo was born in Miami on November 1st, 1962. Aldolfo Constanzo was a son of a teenage Cuban immigrant. He was still an infant when his widowed mother moved to Puerto Rico and acquired a second husband. There, Aldolfo was baptized as a Catholic and served the church as an altar boy, appearing to accept the standard tenets of the Roman faith. He was just 10 years old when the family moved back to Miami and his stepfather died a year later, leaving Aldolfo and his mother financially well off. 
By that time, neighbors in Little Havana had begun to notice something odd about Aurora Constanzo and her son, Aurora being his mother. Soon, some said the woman was a witch, and those who angered her were likely to discover headless goats or chickens on their doorsteps in the morning. Demonic shit. Adolfo's mother had introduced him to, to the Santeria cult around age nine with side trips from Puerto Rico to Haiti for instruction in voodoo. But there were still more secrets to be learned. And in 1976, he was an apprentice to a practitioner of what was called Palo Mayombe. His occult grandfather, uh, I'm sorry, his occult godfather was already rich from working with the local drug dealers. And he imparted a philosophy that would follow Adolfo to his grave. And that was said, let the non-believers kill themselves with drugs. We will profit from their foolishness. <laughs> what kind of drugs? Just like all drugs in general? Or like- I was just about to ask that. What was their key? What was their main you know, selling point? I I, coke, I imagine. Cuba, right? Yeah. I want to say Coke because in Miami. the 80s. And in the 80s. Yeah. In the 80s. I mean, because of Scarface, Coke and everything was like super fucking, you know, uh-huh. just you weren't cool if, if you, you didn't, didn't do coke. coke pretty much. <laughs> coke is one hell of a fucking drug. Yes. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Play the meme. Play the meme. <laughs> <laughs> Around the same time, Costanzo's mother recalls that her oldest son began displaying psychic powers, scanning the future to predict such events as the 1981 shooting of President Pre- President President Ronald Reagan. <laughs> President. <laughs> <laughs> Be that as it may, Adolfo had problems foretelling his own future, including two 1981 arrests for shoplifting, one involving the theft of a chainsaw. <laughs> on the side, right. he had also begun to dis- <laughs> on the side, he also had begun to display bisexual inclinations with a strong preference for male lovers. So he was pretty much bisexual, but he preferred dudes over women. Yeah. Okay. A modeling assignment took the handsome young sorcerer to Mexico City in 1983, and he spent his free time telling fortunes with tarot cards in the city's infamous Zona Rosa. Before returning to Miami, Adolfo collected his first Mexican disciples, including Martin Martin Quintana mm-hmm. and homosexual psychic Jorge Montes and Omar Orera. Like, that was his title? Obsessed with... Yeah, those, these are their names. I don't know if on the homosexual psychic. I don't know if he's like. I don't know if he just. <laughs> I don't know if he just went around and, and said like. This is my homosexual, homosexual psychic like right here. Yeah, I don't. I'll tell I don't, you how I, many dicks you could take. I don't imagine Adolfo was like, "Yo, what's up, crew? This is my crew right here. This is fucking my Mexican disciples. This dude's Martin Quintana. This one's the other one. This this fool right here. His name's Omar Herrera, and this one's my homosexual psychic." <laughs> I don't. I don't know uh, if he did that. I bet you left that. I bet you left that part out. <laughs> um, so Casanzo seduced both a young Latino Rodriguez and Herrera, claiming one as his man and the other as his woman. So he made one the yep. woman. <laughs> Probably. Depending on a, depending on his uh, Adolfo's romantic whim, depending on who he's in the mood for, if he was in the mood for a man or a woman. Okay. So did he make that 19... guy out of a woman punching dick back or something? Or yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. They didn't. Yeah. I didn't find anything on that. But that's a good question. Yeah, right? You're asking the real questions here, sir. <laughs> Who was top? Who was bottom? Come on. <laughs> In mid 1984, Costanzo moved to Mexico City full time, seeking what his mother called New Horizons. 
He shared quarters with Quintana and Aurea in a strange menage a trois, collecting other followers as his magic reputation spread throughout the city. It was said that Constanzo could read the future, and he also offered Limpia's ritual cleansings for those who felt they had been cursed by enemies. Uh, and essentially, what Limpia's ritual cleansings, if I'm not mistaken, I actually had one done when I was like 16 years old. Dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what it is, I could be I could be totally wrong, but if you're Mexican and you're listening to this, listeners, fucking hit me up at Strange Talk Podcast on Instagram or email me at Strange Talk podcast at outlook.com and tell me if i'm wrong but if i if i'm correct the limpia's uh cleansing ritual was basically um what had been done to me was like uh (laughs) it's like basically they get an egg right they get an egg and they rub it on your body (laughs) okay and supposedly the egg is supposed to absorb all the toxins from your body so like if you're depressed or if you're uh, like just having a bad time, what? all that negative energy will supposedly get sucked into the what egg, kind of egg, and then it? the person who's cont- just to break it all into, like a like an egg you cook, yeah, like a chicken egg. <laughs> and so suppose, and so supposedly, supposedly, uh, it will get rid of all the negative energy and reveal something if you have a question or something. And so that was back when I was sixteen, and I was dating a girl. No, I was like eighteen, and I was dating one of my ex while well, I was dating this girl at the time and <laughs> for some reason my mom was just like so adamant that the girl that I was dating at the time was pregnant mm. and I was like no <laughs> she's not like I know she's not pregnant I'm a bird. Wow. I mean I fucking pull out <laughs> but um so when the the lady cracked the egg open she's she cracks it in water mm-hmm. right and supposedly when whatever forms is what your answer is and so supposedly my mom had to ask the question, did my son get his girlfriend pregnant? Oh. And when she cracked the egg, she looked at it and she's like, uh, and the lady looked at the water and the egg formed like a bubble shape. And she's like, that bubble is the representation of the baby forming in the, in the oh, stomach. And I was like, what? I was like, what? No, that's not fucking bro, true. There's no bro, way. Bro, the like, church is selling you I, out? See, she was probably... Like, <laughs> no, it's not, not a church. church. It's just some fucking lady. No, it's not a church. It's a lady. It was a friend of mine's mom. I'm not going to say his name just in case he listens to this episode. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, it was a friend. It was, it was my friend's uh, mom that I was friends with in high school. She did it on oh, me. She did it on me, my sister... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, so I fucking, um, yeah. Dude. And so my mom, my mom thought like <laughs> I got the chick pregnant, but I, I did it. Luckily, I did it. <laughs> That's just such a weird ritual. That's too funny. That's a great yeah. ritual. So, but, but I guess that's what's, I believe, if it's from my experience, that's what the Olympia's. Ritual cleansing was, but anyways. How come Olympia? Back to the topic. Yeah, the food from Philippines. I have no idea. That's what I thought you were talking about at first. Olympia fucking cleanse, like you're gonna eat a bunch of Olympia or something. Oh no no no! <laughs> so of course it all costs money, and Constanzo's journals recovered after his death document 31 regular customers, some paying up to four thousand five hundred for a single ceremony. Dang. That's how much they would pay him just to conduct one of his rituals. To rub an egg on him? No, not not to rub an egg. Not to rub an egg. His rituals were by far completely different. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not how much my mom paid. Four thousand dollar egg right there. <laughs> that's a four, that's a fucking ostrich egg. <laughs> Two eggs for the price of one, baby. <laughs> so Adolfo established a menu for sacrificial beasts, with roosters going for six dollars a head, goats for thirty dollars, and boa constrictors at four hundred and fifty dollars. Adult zebras for a thousand one hundred. And African lion cubs listed at three thousand one hundred dollars each. Dang. Okay, so if you wanted to sacrifice an African lion, you'd have to pay him a three thousand one hundred dollars. Say you wanted to, you would have to pay the three thousand one hundred for each. That's worth it. <laughs> Can I get a Two? zebra with the side of boa constrictor? <laughs> yeah, it's like a fucking McDonald's menu. Yeah, can I get a number nine? Do you want the zebra or the cub as a I need a kid I'll zebra, zebra. for my two year old. <laughs> I need a kid zebra. <laughs> I need a kid zebra. <laughs> True to the teachings of his Florida mentor, Costanza went out of his way to charm wealthy drug dealers, helping them schedule shipments and meetings on the basis of his predictions. For a price, He'd offer magic that would make dealers and their hitmen invisible to police, <laughs> bulletproof against their enemies. All right. Yeah, this was Harry Potter before yeah. Harry Potter was even made. Like turning on <laughs> GTA hacks. <laughs> it was all nonsense, of course. But how do you smugglers know? drawn from Mexican. How do you know? You didn't pay for the dog zebra? <laughs> I did. <laughs> you can shoot me right now. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine? Like, <laughs> could you imagine if Adolfo was just like he cuts off the zebra's head or whatever the fuck he does, and he's like, "There, it is done. Your men are invincible to bullets. They're bulletproof." He's like, "Oh no way!" <laughs> and he just takes out a gun and shoots his fucking like henchman right in front of him. He's like, "Ah, oh, uh, it, it didn't. Oh, it, did, it just didn't. It didn't work on that guy for some weird." Oh, he's like, "We gotta get another zebra." <laughs> It was all nonsense, of course, but smugglers drawn from Mexican peasant stock with a background in... Oh my god, I don't know how to say this fucking Spanish word. Bru... <laughs> Bru... <laughs> I can't fucking say it. Fucking witchcraft. We're strongly inclined to believe. I'll say the English version. <laughs> According to Costanzo Ledgers, one dealer in Mexico City paid him $40,000 for his magical services rendered over three years time. So over a span of three years, that just that one drug dealer spent $40,000 on Adolf, Adolfo um, fucking rituals. God damn. Look, at, those rates, <clears throat> at those rates, the customers demanded a show and Costanzo recognized the folly of disappointing men who carried Uzi's <clears throat> submachine guns in their armor-plated limousine. <clears throat> Strong medicine required first rate ingredients and Adolfo was rolling by mid-1985 when he and three of his disciples raided a Mexico City graveyard for human bones to start his own ganga, the traditional cauldron of blood employed by practitioners of Palo Mayombe. So pretty much it's like a, it's just like this huge pot like, you know, like a cauldron would use like when, yeah, pretty much, yeah, a cauldron it's just, it's just what they would use, he would put the, the animals in there and sacrifice them. And it would be made out of human bones? Uh, yeah, he basically started getting. Uh, he would rob graveyards to find human remains so he could put it in his gun. Would he use like? Would he use like rib cages? Because like he'd use the bones to make a bowl, right? No, he wouldn't use the bones to make a uh, to make a bowl. He already had a. a oh, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. But he would put the bones gotcha. in there. Sort of it's like, like part soup, of the like part of the recipe. Soup. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. 
The rituals and air of mystery surrounding Constanzo were powerful enough to lure a cross-section of Mexican society with his clique of disciples, including a physician, a real estate speculator, fashion models, and several transvestite nightclub performers. All right. At first glance, the most peculiar aspect of Constanzo's new career was the appeal he seemed to have for ranking law enforcement officers. At least four members of the federal judicial police joined Costanzo's cult in Mexico City. One of them, Salvador Garcia, was a commander in charge of, not, of the narcotics investigations. Another, Florentino Ventura, retired from the federales to lead the Mexican branch of Interpol. So pretty much this guy, Aldolfo Costanzo, was in really high places. He was getting people from like really high government officials and even law enforcement. So he pretty much was kind of in a way like a Scarface type dude. In a country where bribery, mordida, pormetes, uh, por all levels of law enforcement, and federal officers sometimes serve as triggermen for drug smugglers, corruption is not unusual. But the devotion of Constanzo's followers ran deeper than cash on the line. In or out of uniform, they worshipped Adolfo as a minor god in his own right. Their living conduit to the spirit world is what they believed he was. Yeah. So they, he had devoted followers. Whether they were in uniform or out of uniform, if, if Aldolfo Constanzo wanted them to do something, they would do it like no questions asked, pretty much. That's how powerful he was becoming. In 1986, Florentino Ventura introduced Constanzo to the drug-dealing Calasala family, then one of the Mexico's dominant narcotics cartels. Costanzo won the hard-nosed dealers over with his charm and mumbo-jumbo, profiting immensely from his contacts with the gang. By early 1987, he was able to pay $60,000 cash for a condominium in Mexico City, buying himself a fleet of luxury cars that included an $80,000 Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> so this guy was living the fucking life. So that's why you should, best, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, it sounds no different than some of the stuff that goes on here. In America. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking We're about. We're not working magic. You don't know what I'm talking I'm about? I'm blind to all that shit. <laughs> We're not working magic for the Casadas or other clients. Adolfo staged scams of his own, once posing as a DEA agent to rip off a Coke dealer in Guadalajara, selling the stash through his police contacts for a cool $100,000. That Coca. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> that yayo. Ooh. Hush, hush for the yayo. <laughs> at some point, <laughs> at some point in his odyssey from juvenile psychic to high society witch, Costanzo began to feed his nanga, his ganga, with the offering of human sacrifice. That's what that's what he called the cauldron, the cauldron, the ganga. If you actually go to my profile on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast, you can actually see a picture of the actual ganga that he would use in the. Uh, so is that like the, the Spanish word for cauldron, or is that just what he called? I don't know if it's the, I don't know, I, it might be the Spanish word. I don't know if it's a Spanish word for cauldron or if it's just simply like the Haitian word. One second. For it because, yeah, because that's how he, he heard, that's how he heard about like, uh, like that's how he even got it was from uh, Haiti because he, his mom was from Haiti, I believe, or she would just go out there and that's where she would. It's a name. It says it's a name in Haiti. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's Haitian. Yeah. So, uh, Costanzo began to feed his ganga with the offering of human sacrifice. No final tally for his victims is available, but 23 ritual murders are well documented. Just 23. But that doesn't mean that that's only 23. They don't, the police don't really know how many. It could be way more than 23. 
Uh, murder says, as well as documented, and Mexican authorities point to a rash of unsolved mutilation slains around Mexico City and elsewhere, suggesting that Casanzo's known victims may only represent the tip of a malignant iceberg. In any case, his willingness to torture and kill total strangers, along with close friends, duly impressed the ruthless drug dealers who remained his fourth most clients. In the course of a year's association, Costanzo came to believe that his magical powers alone were responsible for the Calzada family's continued success and survival. So they truly believed that because uh, Adolfo's rituals were working, that's why they were so successful. Because mm. that dude was fucking In scary, April? dude. Don't want to fuck with that guy. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Would you want to fuck with a dude that somehow managed to capture a fucking Bruh. adult zebra and just... Right, he know? has that kind of access. Bro, I Bro. Yeah. a dude or be, or be in the same <laughs> company as a dude who kills his close friends and family. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm next if I fucking sneeze on his ass. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, did you just sneeze on me? Did you fart on me? <laughs> did you just sneeze on me? <laughs> <laughs> in April of 1987, he demanded a full partnership in the syndicate and was curtly refused. On the surface, Costanzo seemed to take the rejection in stride, but his devious mind was working overtime, plotting his revenge. On April 30th, Guillermo Casala and six members of his household vanished under mysterious circumstances. They were reported missing on May 1st police noting melted candles and other evidence of a strange religious ceremony at Casalda's office. Six more days elapsed before officers began fi- fishing mutilated remains from the Zampango River. Seven corpses were recovered in the course of a week, all bearing marks of sadistic torture. Fingers, toes, and ears were removed. Mm. Hearts and sex organs aside. <sighs> Part of the spine ripped from one oh. body, two others missing their brains. Okay, so it's fucking brutal. The vanished parts, as it turned out, had gone to feed Costanzo's cauldron of blood, building up his strength for greater conquests yet to come. So basically, he was pretty pissed that they didn't want to make him like a full partner of the cartel, like the crime syndicate. So he's like, all right, you guys don't want to make me part of it. I'll just start my own. It's pretty much what he started to come, like, just decide to do. He was pretty much becoming Tony Montana. Gotcha. (laughs) In July of 1987, Salvador Garcia introduced Costanzo to another drug-running family. This one led by brothers Elio, Elio and Ovidio Hernandez. I'm not sure if I pronounced those right. At the end of that month, in Matamoros, Costanzo had also met 22-year-old uh, Sarah Arrete. El Trete. <laughs> I'm not sure if I pronounced that right either. I'm a horrible fucking Mexican. Hey, hey, you got a Mexican effort, man- all right? True. <laughs> I get that participation. Yep, we get the ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> a Mexican national with a resident alien status in the United States, where she attended college in Brownsville, Texas. Adolfo charmed Sarah with his line of patter, noting with arc significance that her birthday, which was September 6th, was the same as his mother's. Sarah was dating Brownsville drug smuggler Gilberto Souza at the time, but she soon wound up in Constanzo's bed. <laughs> so yeah. pretty much uh, Adolfo Constanzo knew how to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew how to get it from both. He was playing from both sides, man. He knew, he knew how to get it from both. He ain't picky, bro. <laughs> Wingman. <laughs> Adolfo uh, scuttling the old relationship with an anonymous call to Sosa, revealing Sarah's infidelity. 
With nowhere else to turn, Sarah plunged full tilt into Costanzo's world, emerging as the Madrina, which means godmother or head witch of his cult, adding her own twist to the torture of sacrificial victims. So not only did she end up with Costanzo, well, Adolfo, but she basically became her, his like partner. Like she became his queen. Huh. Costanzo's rituals became more elaborate and sadistic after he moved his headquarters to a plot of desert called Rancho Santa Elena, 20 miles from Matamoros. There, on May 28, 1988, drug dealer Hector de la Fuente and farmer Moises Castillo were executed by gunfire, but the sacrifice was a disappointment to Costanzo. Back in Mexico City, he directed his drones to dismember a transvestite by the name of Roman Escueva and dump his grisly remains on a public street corner. Wow. His, <laughs> his luck was holding, and Costanzo's narrowly escaped when Houston police raided a drug house in June of 1988, seizing numerous items of occult paraphernalia and the city's largest ever shipment of cocaine. Wow. Of that yay, yo. The dude knows how to send <laughs> a message. That's for sure. Yeah, pretty much. He's basically, he's not only is he uh, dramatic and very charismatic, but he's also, I guess, for showman. Yeah. He's, he's like his showman. Yeah, totally. Show, you know? On August 12th, Ovidio Hernandez and his two-year-old son were kidnapped by kidnapped by rival narcotics dealers, the family turning to Costanzo for help. That night, another human sacrifice was staged at Rancho Santa Elena, and the hostages were released unharmed on August 13th. Adolfo claiming full credit for their safe return, his star was rising, and Costanzo barely noticed when Florentino Ventura committed suicide in Mexico City on September 17th, taking his wife and a friend with him in the same burst of gunfire. In November of 1988, Costanzo sacrificed disciple Jorge Gomez, accused of snorting cocaine in direct violation of Al Patrino's ban on drug use. <laughs> that's why he killed him. So basically, yeah, that's which is so weird. Like, like Adolfo Costanzo was cool with like sacrificing humans and animals, but God forbid if you did drugs, like he he believed wholeheartedly and like don't get high on your own supply. Hmm. That's how he was. So because he found out his fucking friend Jorge was basically like snorting cocaine on the job, he fucking killed him. Yeah, I would have been dead. Yeah. Fuck. You'd have been dead. Yeah, fuck, cocaine's amazing. <laughs> Dude, bye. A month later, cocaine. I ain't rich though. <laughs> Then um, why don't you become a fucking uh, uh, drug cartel leader, man? Do, some, do those rituals. Start getting. You got the you got the name for it, bro. I am a Rodriguez. Fuck. <laughs> Tell my off. You, you gotta live up to the Rodriguez <laughs> name. You want to join my cartel? Cut your dick off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you I, I cut your I cut your foreskin off. That's the voicemail you send right, everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> a month later. Adolfo's ties with the Hernandez family were cemented with the initiation of Ovidio Hernandez as a full-fledged cultist, complete with ritual bloodletting and prayers to the Ganga. Human sacrifice can also have its practical side, as when competing with smuggler Equizel Luna, uh, Esquel Luna, <laughs> I believe is how you say it, was tortured to death at Rancho Santa Elena. On February 14th of 1989, two other dealers named Ruben Garza and Ernesto Diaz. Oh, no. That's, true, That's my name. Well, not, not, not yeah, Diaz. Yeah, not Diaz. But, uh, that was an undercover name, all right, bro. 
<laughs> wandered into the ceremony uninvited and promptly wound up on the menu. Ooh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so they were just kind of like, is this the bathroom? Oh, dear God, what did we walk into? <laughs> Conversely, Adolfo sometimes demanded a sacrifice on the spur of the moment. He just yeah. gets so into yeah. it that he would just be like, you're sacrificed. He's like Oprah at that point. You're getting sacrificed. You're getting sacrificed. <laughs> sacrifice for everyone. Everybody gets sacrificed. You, you, come here, come here. Chop, chop a finger. <laughs> he would come to sacrifice. They like felt honored, maybe. Yeah. Oh, totally. yeah, that is true. Maybe they're like, he chose me. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. That is probably true. That's probably what happened. I wonder how I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is he going to chop me up? Is he going to cut my leg off? <laughs> Am I going to be with the zebra? I'm going to be with the zebra. <laughs> you and the zebra get decapitated together at the same time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> when he called for fresh meat on February 25th, Ovidio Hernandez gladly joined the hunting party, picking off his own 14-year-old cousin, oh, Jose Garcia, goodness. in the heat of the moment. Okay. He's like, oh, I got somebody for you. That guy beat me in fucking car. Let's get him. <laughs> Let's get his ass. <laughs> Would he necessarily try to find, like, virgins, too? I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't really find anything on that during my research. Well, I can imagine. Well, I can imagine a sac a person that uses sacrifice the way he does. All rarity beings would probably be prized. Yeah, I imagine that's a good. I had to be a ginger back then, right, dude? <laughs> a ginger. Oh my like god. <laughs> right, dwarf. Mm. <laughs> so on March thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Costanzo sacrificed yet another victim at the ranch, gravely disappointed when his prey did not scream and plead for mercy in the approved style. So basically, that's what he wanted. That's what he liked was when you begged and pleaded for his life. I don't even think it wasn't even about like the fact that I don't think like what I'm saying is like, I don't think at any point did Aldolfo ever cross his mind like, but what if what if it's actually working? No, I think he just did it because he liked killing people. Yeah, that, that was more because he got off on people like pleading for their lives and mm -hmm. shit. He loves that power. It's like a rapist in a sense. It's not about yeah. this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the power that he has. Yeah. Disgruntled, he ordered an ang Angelo for the next Anglo for the next ritual. And his minions fanned out with their noses to the ground, abducting 21-year-old Mark Kilroy outside a Matamora saloon. The sacrifice went well enough, followed two weeks later by the butchery of Sarah Aldrates, old boyfriend, Gilberto Sosa, but Kiroi's disappearance marked the beginning of the end for the Costanzo's homicidal family. And the reason for that is because Mark Kiroi is a white American from America. America. <laughs> America. Yeah. A popular pre-med student from Texas, Mark Kiroi was not some peasant, transvestite, or a small-time pusher, which is why a lot of people believe that uh, Costanzo was able to get away with it for so long, because he was basically killing people that nobody cared about, unfortunately. Yeah. That nobody was going to care to look for. He was mainly killing transvestites. Um, so Mark Kilroy was not some peasant transvestite or a small-time pusher who could disappear without a trace or an investigation into his fate. With family members and Texas politicians turning up the heat, the search for Kilroy rapidly assumed the trappings of an international incident, but it would be Costanzo's own disciples who destroyed him in the end. By late March of 1989, Mexican authorities were busy with one of their periodic anti-drug campaigns. 
erecting roadblocks on a whim and sweeping the border districts for unwary smugglers. On April 1st, Victor Sosida, an ex-cop turned gangster, was sacrificed at the ranch, and the spirit message Costanza received was optimistic enough for his troops to move a half ton of marijuana across the border seven nights later. Half ton. And then the mat, yeah, a half ton of marijuana (laughs) across the border. Let me say that again. Yeah, a half ton. Okay, say it with me now. A half Half ton of marijuana. How many trucks is that? How many trucks is that? I I have no idea. What would you bring in a truck? Every person in his fucking gang shoved it up their ass. That's how they smuggled it. <laughs> what would you use to get border. that shit across the border? I mean, there's, of course, like miles of unprotected, you know what I mean, that you could drive through with a bunch of trucks. Well, but it was back then, too, compared to trying to do it now. True that. Yeah, True. It, it was a lot easier. True that. Yeah, it was a lot easier. That's why it just was so easy to do. That's why, because, I mean, I don't think governments plan for anything like that to happen like people are gonna like we know that people are gonna smuggle and do things like illegal activity but i don't think they knew it was on such a grand scale as it is now yeah true that uh so and then the magic started to unravel on april 9th returning from a brownsville texas meeting with Costanzo, cultus serafin hernandez drove past the police roadblock without stopping ignoring the cars that set off in hot pursuit Hernandez believed El Pratvino's line about invincibility, and he seemed surprised when officers trailed him to his destination in Matamoros. Even so, the smuggler was arrogant, inviting police to shoot him since the bullets would merely bounce <laughs> off of him. Because that's what he wholeheartedly believed, because he believed in Adolfo Casanzo's magic. Dude. They instead arrested Man, him. Man, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Along with, so they, yeah, they, they couldn't, they couldn't even put the bullet thing to the test. They just, they probably believed it too. They're like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? This guy's bulletproof. Let's just arrest him. <laughs> no one ever got shot on accident, like in the middle of their like drug smuggling, like against other rival gangs. Like no one got like a little bullet wound or flesh wound or anything stupid like that. Like all this never. Yeah, it's hard to. That's very hard to believe. Th- throughout all my research, there was there was never incidents that got bad because. That's the power of a lie, especially if so many people believe it. Like, that's what it means by if you give into the power of your own lie. That's why sometimes you can fool yourself. I'm willing to bet you money. Because- I'm willing to bet you money. There's the mentality amongst all of them that, you know, if somebody was to see somebody take a bullet off of something like what Robert said, they would say, oh, you didn't believe hard enough. Yeah, you know I mean? they would probably just explain it away. Like yeah, no one got in fights or anything, or was it just they're only like bulletproof? They couldn't, they could, ha- they could get hit and stuff, and it hurt them. But bullets won't hurt them. They mm-hmm. were maybe they maybe they believed it was bulletproof, or maybe they believed like if you get shot, you'll feel the pain, but you won't die. Type yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I hear, I hear that. I, you won't mm-hmm. die. I think that's what it's about more too. I don't know. I don't. But that guy, I guess, believed the one that got arrested believed that he could fucking <laughs> he could just. Be impervious to bullets, bro. He's like Drax so, in fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm invisible. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> along with cult member, so he got arrested along with cult member David Martinez and drove the pair back to Rancho Santa Elena, where a preliminary search turned up marijuana and firearms. Disciples Elio Hernandez and Sergio Martinez stumbled into the net while police were on hand, and all four prisoners were interrogated through the evening revealing their tales of black magic, torture, and human sacrifice with a perverse kind of pride. The next morning, 
Police returned to the ranch in force, discovering the Maldorius shed where Costanzo kept his ganga, reaming with blood, spiders, scorpions, a dead black cat, a turtle shell, bones, deer antlers, and a human brain. Damn. Captive cult members directed searchers to Costanzo's private cemetery. Excavation <laughs> began, <laughs> revealing 15 mutilated corpses by April 16th. In addition to Mark Kilroy and other victims already named, the body count included two renegade federal narcotics officers by the name of Joaquin Manzo and Miguel Garcia, along with three men who were never identified. Mm. The hunt for Costanzo was on, and police raided his luxury home at Atizaban, outside Mexico City. I'm not sure if I said that right. I'm pretty sure I didn't say that right. On April 17th, discovering stockpiles of gay pornography <laughs> and a hidden ritual chamber. <laughs> That's what he had in his home. He in had house. stockpiles of gay pornography and he had a hidden ritual chamber in his own home that he would conduct rituals with another ganga. Damn. The discoveries at Rancho Santa Elena made international headlines and sightings of Costanzos were reported as far away as Chicago. But in fact, he had already returned to Mexico City, hiding out in a small apartment with Sarah Aldrete and three other disciples. And on May 2nd, thinking to save herself, Sarah tossed a note out the window. It read, please call the judicial police and tell them that in this building are those that, are, that they are seeking. Give them the address, fourth floor. Tell them that a woman is being held hostage. I beg for this because I want most, what I want most is to talk or they're going to kill the girl. A passerby found the note and kept it to himself, believing it to be someone's lame attempt at humor. But on May 6, neighbors called police to complain of a loud, vulgar argument in Costanzo's apartment, some say accompanied by gunshots. As patrolmen arrived on the scene, Costanzo opened fire with an Uzi, touching off a 45-minute battle in which, miraculously, only one policeman was wounded. Okay. When Costanzo realized that escape was impossible, he handed his weapon to cultist Alvaro de Leon Valdez, a professional hitman nicknamed El Dubi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but El Dubi. Can, like, can you imagine? Dude? I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse. The fact that there's a hitman named El Dubi, or I probably say it wrong, knowing my ass, because I'm fucking a horrible Mexican. Well, his name is, if it's El Dubi or El Dubai. <laughs> Um, could you imagine? I don't know what's worse, being a hitman named that, or you being killed by a hitman named Al being named that. <laughs> <laughs> with with bizarre new orders. As Al Dubai recalls the scene, this is what he said. He told me to kill him and Martin, which is uh and Martin Quitina. And I told him I couldn't do it, but he hit me in the face and threatened me that everything would go bad for me in hell. Oof. Then he hugged Martin Martin. And I just stood in front of them and shot them with a machine gun. So, so he basically off off of, at that point. Is that what he told him? Like my power's gone. If you shoot me now, I will die. Yeah, he had to. He had no, to pitch him something I, like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because he he said like because he knows that he's like I'm not gonna be able to I'm not gonna be able to escape. They're gonna capture yeah. me, but I don't want to go to jail. So kill me. The magic. Is I I, re <laughs> I, 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 I relinquish my power. <laughs> yeah, I, I put it. He's like, I put it into you, bro. <laughs> All right, you're the new leader. You, you can get shot now. You're the new leader. Everything's on you. Good luck. 
Costanzo and Quintina were dead when police stormed the apartment, arresting Al Dubi and Sarah Aldrete. In the aftermath of the raid, 14 cultists were in- indicted on various charges, including multiple murder, weapons, and narcotics violations, conspiracy, and obstruction of justice. In August of 1990, Aldube was convicted of killing Castanzo in Quintana, drawing a 30-year prison term. Coltis Juan Fargosa and Jorge Montes were both convicted in the uh, Raymond Esquivo murder and sentenced to 35 years each. Omar Orea, convicted in the same case, died of AIDS before he could be sentenced. I don't know why I'm laughing, but <laughs> I'm, 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 not, I'm not laughing because he died of AIDS. That's all I'm laughing. I'm laughing because of the way I pronounced the names. Please let the record show. I'm not laughing because he died of AIDS. I'm laughing because of the way I pronounced the name. It's just funny because, you know, he's like, he can't get shot or anything. He'll survive, but AIDS is what gets him. Exactly. But magic, well, cause magic, man. Magic. magic can't even get yeah. AIDS. The, the only way you can survive magic is your magic Johnson. Uh, That's uh, the only magic money. that works. That is the yeah, only money that <laughs> That's the kind of magic you need. You need to be named magic. <laughs> Sarah Aldrete was acquitted of Costanzo's murder, but sentenced to a six-year term of conviction of criminal association. So basically, she just got six years for just being associated with him. So she probably, she probably, I'm pretty sure she fucking did some fucked up shit herself. I'm pretty sure she tortured people, especially if she's with that Aldolfo. Yeah. But they let her get off light because she turned over a lot of the records and she basically, you know. So she took off she 6 9 it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> She's just without the rainbow colored hair. Yeah. <laughs> Probably has the tattoos, but not the, not the hair. <laughs> <laughs> she was nearing the end of that sentence, of her 60-year sentence. But in 1994, when her long-delayed trial on multiple murder charges brought another conviction... And actually went to a 60-year prison term. So she was forced to serve 60 years rather than six years. She was almost done with her six years. But they were like, nope, never mind. You're going to get charged for murder yep. 60 years in prison. See, that's where you insert the meme. Ha, got him. <laughs> <laughs> Police in Mexico are still uncertain of Costanzo's final body count. Some officers trying to clear every ritualistic murder on the books by posthumously blaming Costanzo. On the other hand, in June of 1989, Martin Quintana's sister told police that Adolfo's first madrina was still at large, practicing her blood magic in Guadalajara. And from jail, before he died, Omar Arreya said, I don't think that the religion will end with us because it has a lot of people in it. They have found a temple in Monterey that isn't even related to us. It will continue. And that's the story of Adolfo Costanzo. Nice. What was his nickname one more time? It's close to Adolf. Uh, Which one? His nickname? Aldolfo. Oh, um, El Padrino? Uh, the Godfather? I would say, yeah, like the father or something like that. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's basically the Godfather. Gotcha. So that, everybody, listeners, that is the, that's the episode of Aldolfo de Jesus Constanzo, the Mexican Godfather serial killer of Matamoros. So, man, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, wait, I got a good one for you guys. So hopefully you guys, so if you made it all the way to the end of this, give yourself a pat on the back. Thank you, uh, Rip Sauce and Danny, for joining me on this episode. Hopefully this is a, a, a permanent thing, and hopefully you, the listeners, enjoyed 
listening to our inputs, listening to this particular episode. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been a while and hopefully we can have this be a permanent thing. What do you guys say? I think so. Yeah, bro. I ain't got shit to do, so I got plenty of time now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's good. So again, if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget, uh, this is Strange Talk Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Talk Podcast. And don't forget that you, the listener, is what made Strange Talk Podcast what it is today. So never forget that. Thank you to you for coming out and listening to this episode. Also, thank you guys. Uh, recently, I've been noticing that I've been getting a lot more uh, listeners and, and followers on the podcast. So thank you for that. Also, too, I could have sworn that like last week I had seen that I was at 15K downloads. And recently, we just jumped up to 18.8k downloads in total of all the episodes combined so that's a huge fucking number uh thank you guys i'd never imagined in my wildest dreams that that would be that strange that strange talk podcast would be what it is today i just did it as a hobby so thank you guys for always listening to this episode and all the episodes that i put out but here's the sneak peek for next week's episode so you guys are definitely going to want to like check this episode out it's about a Russian cannibal couple who murdered over 30 people and ate the people, their victims. So you guys are going to want to listen to that episode. That's going to be next week's episode. I'm excited for that one. That one sounds good. Preference of what body yeah. parts they like. I don't know. We'll see what the research has to say. We'll see what the research has to say. But apparently it was so bad that when the Russian police uh, actually raided their apartment or home either their apartment or home they found body parts uh mainly heads human heads in their refrigerator yeah this is the brains and eyeballs and tongues off (laughs) yeah well because those are the that because believe it or not fun fact listeners uh if you are a person who owns lots of animals and you live alone don't die in your house because when you don't feed your animals yeah yeah, when you don't yeah you're fucking they're gonna eat you when you stop feeding them, they'll bite the hand that feeds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much what, what what they do, what they start eating first, is the eyes, lips, and nose. Because those are the softest parts of your body. What about my wiener? Mm-hmm. Isn't that pretty soft? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they can get to it, they'll eat it. Well, I'll be dead naked, so it's okay. They'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> make sure that, make sure it's easily accessible, too. <laughs> I'll be spending right. the So, thank you. <laughs> all right so thank you guys again for listening to this episode i hope you guys enjoyed it i hope you guys enjoyed the new permanent co-host that's ribsaw 710 and it's uh danny uh thank you guys for joining on this episode thank you guys for listening also if you guys have uh article or you guys have an episode topic that you guys would like us to uh fucking do you can follow us on instagram at strange talk podcast and send a dm through there or you can follow us uh or you can send us an email at strange talk podcast at outlook.com what's that email again it's strange talk podcast <laughs> at outlook.com uh so thanks again and as always stay strange everybody <laughs> <laughs>